Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the EMG Health Podcast. My name is Sue Saville, former medical correspondent at Britain's ITV News and now an independent health journalist. And today I'm pleased to be bringing you a discussion on the latest treatment options for the most common form of cancer in humans, non-melanoma skin cancer. And specifically, we'll look at treating non-melanoma skin cancer with the non-invasive single-session approach, Renium SCT. And as we'll find out, that's an innovative, personalised skin cancer therapy that uses radioisotopes to treat complex lesions in a one-off session. This podcast has been sponsored by Oncobita, a medical device company specialising in innovative epidermal radioisotope therapies. And to guide us through the latest technologies and give us an idea of what these innovations mean, both for patients and for dermatologists, I'm joined by two experts in radio-oncology and nuclear medicine. We have with us Dr. Joe Cardacci, who is a consultant physician in nuclear medicine and general medicine at the Hollywood Private Hospital, the largest private hospital in Australia, also adjunct associate professor at the University of Notre Dame, Australia. Joe introduced Renium skin cancer therapy into Australia. He performed the first treatments in 2019 and helped establish an international registry to collect real-life data from patients treated with Renium SCT. He's an investigator in the EPIC trial, a multinational trial utilizing Renium SCT in non-melatonous skin cancers. Also with us is Associate Professor Sid Baxley, Radiation Oncologist on the Gold Coast, Australia, and Clinical Lead for Innovations at Genesis Care, the largest provider of cancer care services in Australia, with cancer treatment centres also in the UK, Spain and the USA. Sid works across a range of cancers, including complex skin cancer care, also head and neck, blood, brain, gastrointestinal and urological cancers. He has a special interest in access to care and healthcare services development in regional and remote Australia and for Indigenous Australians. Well, welcome to you both. Thank you so much for taking part in this. And if I may, I'm going to stick to first names with you. Hello, welcome. Yes, hello. Um, Sid, if I may talk first to you, and just to set the scene, what does this term non-melanoma skin cancer actually cover? Well, what causes it and how common is it, perhaps globally and, and especially in Australia where you both work? Thanks, uh, Sue, and uh, thanks for the uh, invitation to, to participate. Um, uh, melano- so skin cancer is divided up into two parts, uh, melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancers. The non-melanomalous skin cancers really covers the two major groups, which is basal cells and squamous cell skin cancers, and a smaller group of pre-invasive cancerous lesions. This is by far the most common group of skin cancers. And, you know, the, 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 while the data is, is probably a, a few years lagging, at last count, we probably have about 1 to 1.2 million cases per year around the world. Um, in Australia, there's probably 130,000 odd cases diagnosed um, annually. And uh, the data would suggest that for every uh, 100,000 visits to a GP, uh, on average, you identify about 600 lesions. Um, and that varies between 400 to up to 1,000 in northern Australia. So it's a significant burden. And then there's a societal cost of having these issues in terms of 
uh, a social, psychological impact of having these treatments, all these cancers treated regularly, uh, and constantly monitoring for new lesions as you get older. In terms of cause, causation, uh, the primary issue is uh, ultraviolet, uh, ultraviolet exposure um, over uh, time as people get, uh, are, are getting older and living longer. That ultraviolet exposure on your skin is certainly extending. And while there's some really good campaigns to protect your skin from skin cancers, um, that's certainly an issue where it is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in Australia and in the world. Um, and that relates also to some of the genetic or, or, or phenotype features of the individual. And we know that there's, there's a greater risk of getting these types of cancers in, in a Caucasian population, those with blue eyes, blonde hair, um, uh, of, of a Celtic background. Um, and so there's, there's certainly a, a tendency in certain subgroups to get more skin cancer issues than others. Thank you. That really does set the scene then about the impact of this issue. So, Joe, now there's a treatment that uses this radioisotope, Rhenium-188. Can you tell us what exactly is this therapy? How is it administered? And what's so novel about it? Well, it's a new approach. And uh, radiotherapy is a, a, a very helpful and very useful treatment uh, option for these skin cancers um, and the radiotherapy uh, uh, has been traditionally administered through what's called external beam radiotherapy which requires the patient to attend to a, um, attend a radiation oncology centre and using uh, a radiotherapy machine deliver um, what's called external beam radiotherapy to the lesion. I mean, one of the disadvantages of that, of that is that it usually requires multiple attendances so that a small fraction of treatment is given with each with each visit, um, and so uh, and so that has been used over the years. And people have also looked at, at brachytherapy uh, and used brachytherapy treatments, which is again a, a, a topical application of radiation. It usually requires a machine and and often forming moulds. Um, to um, to direct the treatment onto the um, onto the lesion, but again, that is often given as fractionated treatment requiring multiple visits. The Rhenium SCT is a, a novel approach, um, and it's aiming to deliver uh, radiotherapy to the to the lesions, um, but uh, you know with the aim of doing it in a single session of treatment. And the Rhenium 108 is a radioactive isotope; it's a radioactive form of rhenium. Um, and as it decays, and it has a, a physical half-life of approximately 17 hours, as it decays away to a more stable form, it releases a, a beta particle, which, which is energetic. So a beta particle is the size of an electron, um, and uh, as the rhenium as the 188 decays to a more stable form, it releases or it ejects an, a, a beta particle from the nucleus, and that particle will travel approximately three millimetres in tissue and deliver its energy over that, over that distance, which is kind of ideal really for the skin cancers because they tend to be generally fairly superficial, um, or certainly the ones that we would be aiming to treat would be superficial ones. And so the rhenium, uh, when applied directly over the lesion, will penetrate approximately three millimetres and deposit a high amount of energy in, in that 
um, in that distance uh, with the aim of, uh, of delivering the radiotherapy to the lesion. And it, it comes in the form of a pad, like a titanium uh, dioxide resin, which is, which is like, a, it, it, I mean, to give you an analogy, it looks like um, sort of whiteout liquid or Tipex, and it has a, a very similar um, a texture to it, and it's applied uh, on a thin plastic film over the, over the cancer so that there's no direct contact with the skin whatsoever, but it can be painted over the lesion and then left there for a period of time to deliver the desired amount of radiation. And one of the advantages of that is being a liquid, you can actually paint it to any shape or form over any contour, if it's around a, a curved edge on, on the nose or nose or on the pin of the ear, you can actually shape it exactly to the um, to conform with the shape of the lesion. And and this paste or this resin is applied as usually done as a single treatment. Uh, and you can deliver the, an entire dose of radio or therapeutic dose of radiation in the one treatment. And that's interesting to me. So what's the healing process like then? What does the lesion look like once you've applied this resin and had this single session? So initially, when, when the patient leaves the department, it looks no different. I mean, the plastic sheeting is peeled off and, uh, and uh, it looks much as it did when it first, when the patient first attended. But over a period of a few weeks, it, it will show some local reaction. It may, may show some blistering, it may show a bit of oozing or bleeding, and then crusting as, as a normal sort of healing response over a few weeks. And the lesion will, will regress usually over a number of months. So it's not an immediate fix. Uh, but over long, it, after the initial um, inflammatory and, and healing response, it'll it'll settle, and then over time the uh, the crossing will will separate out, and uh, you know the uh, over the ensuing months you'll see a healing uh, um, a healing at the site, and then hopefully uh, if all goes well you'll see a resolution of the skin cancer. And Sid, what about for your patients? What's it like for them undergoing this therapy? As Joe was saying, they're a single session that can be directed so specifically. But what do the patients experience and what, what further benefits can there be for them? Also, you know, uh, the, the, what the patient sees a very simple and straightforward uh, sort of process um, at that first consultation to decide if it's appropriate. You just really want to get an idea of the depth of the lesion and really being quite specific, understanding the surface area that you're going to treat, uh, literally in terms of measuring a centimeter squared, because in determining how much paint to place on the lesion, over, over the lesion, and for how long, you just need to understand some of the metrics around which you're going to determine those calculations. Once you've got those sort of physical parameters clear and prescribed, in essence, you ask the patient to return uh, on a day when you're going to do the procedure, uh, they they attend. You prep that area of skin. So if there's any any scabs, any bit of hair over the area, you might want to uh, remove some of that from the nearby hair. Uh, place this thin layer of film over the lesion. Uh, you literally paint on the resin over the top of the lesion. Um, there's a certain time that it'll stay on, uh, depending on how active or hot the the paint is at the time of application um, and then it's removed a certain amount of time passes the 
layer, the thin film that's applied is removed, the paint is disposed of, and the patient goes home. Do they feel anything? During that process, nothing at all. It's literally watching paint dry, and, you know, it's, it's, it's an iPad, it's watching the TV. <laughs> that's quite remarkable. So are there any particular patients that are best suited to this treatment? Uh, in essence, if you've got the lesions that are thin enough, um, then that is probably your your critical. Uh, uh, this is based on a biopsy to confirm that is indeed it is indeed a malignancy and it is indeed one of those subtypes of non melanoma skin cancers. Um, but otherwise, patients who uh, who may not be suitable for excision or would prefer not to have an excision or where the excision may cause functional deterioration or cosmetic deterioration um, through other means of, of treatment. Uh, and typical areas that, that we're, we're seeing uh, patients seeking some advice and input tend to be the head and neck and the facial areas, the nose, the ears, where surgery um, or other techniques can be more involving and they're looking for alternatives. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's applicable to anywhere on the body. And, and Joe, you, you pioneered the introduction of this therapy in Australia some, what, three years ago. It requires then dermatologists to engage with the treatment. So tell me, how does that interaction work? How do you get dermatologists on board with this therapy? Well, uh, I've, I've been aware of the treatment for over 10 years. And in fact, I, I when I... I first learned of it, I wanted to learn more about it, and I went, went and met with the um, developer in, in, uh, in Rome just to find out a bit more about it. But I realised that it had enormous application, and uh, so, you know, I've been working for a long time trying to get this technology into Australia uh, because I could see a huge benefit to patients from this treatment. Um, and so because it was a novel treatment um, and... Uh, you know, when we first started using it, it it uh, it, it wasn't approved by TGA. It had the European Commission approval, but no Australian approval. So we were accessing it through the uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration Special Access Scheme, which allows us to use these uh, technologies. And given given that it was a non-approved product, I thought it would be best if we did that in conjunction with uh, our dermatology colleagues. Really, just so they can supervise me, and the, and 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 also being a nuclear medicine physician, I mean, I I was relatively inexpert and inexperienced in treatment of these cancers, so I certainly sought the advice and counsel and guidance from our dermatology colleagues. So I engaged with um, some dermatologists locally, one in particular who's been enormously supportive and helpful. Um, just to make sure that we were approaching this correctly, that we were, we were selecting the right lesions, um, and so and and uh, just with assistance in, in terms of um, marking out the lesions initially and following them up. So rather than throwing it out to a wide audience, I thought initially when we when we introduced it, we really should restrict it to one or two people who had knowledge of the technique, who'd done a bit of research, uh, just so that we could implement it in a in a you know, careful and considered, and and uh, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, controlled way, so that you know we could we could uh, you know we so that we had you know adequate dermatology support. In terms of you know, since then, and we have, you know a lot of dermatologists, uh, plastic surgeons, skin cancer specialists are very 
much uh, interested in the treatment and very much aware of it. I must say, when I first looked at it, I thought we'd have a, uh, you know, a bit of a war on our hands, us bringing in this new treatment. I thought we might have dermatologists, you know, being very wary and, uh, and um, um, you know, not... Uh, not embracing the treatment uh, and, uh, you know, perhaps a, a turf war opening up. But in fact, there, there are so many, there are a number of different treatments available for skin cancer. There's no one treatment that fits all. So having more, um, uh, you know, additional methods and um, uh, modes of treatment is actually helpful for the patient and then selecting the right patient for the right treatment at the right time is critical. And Sid, Sid must engage with that, I'm sure, too, in a clin- clinical way. What about from your perspective, Sid? How does your department then interact with dermatologists? Is there a wariness that Joe described there? What we thought might have been a, a, a bit of wariness has actually become a really useful synergy. And in fact, on top of the uh, sort of the dermatologist interaction, because rightly so, dermatologists are the right um, skin cancer physicians to ensure that uh, you know other treatment options are considered. It's the right treatment for the right patient at the right time. Um, but on top of that, the the we have had a number of patients reach out, you know, directly to say, "Is this appropriate for me?" And we've gone back through their medical history to work out who their skin cancer care practitioners are. And gone back to understand what is what they're seeking, what the what the options are, and in fact, one of the group that has come closer to us in 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 partnership, if you like, in understanding this, is um, the pathologists, uh, because we do rely now on them to be very accurate and confident in giving us some ideas around the depth extent of the lesion. And Joe, it was really interesting there when you talk about the other people getting involved there, Sid, and Joe was talking about having the overview. Um, Joe, you're involved then in a prospective study to evaluate this therapy, a study known as EPIC, Efficacy of Personalised Irradiation with Rhenium SCT. Um, And also, I understand you're looking at reported patient outcome measures. So what does it mean for the Hollywood Hospital, the John Flynn Hospitals involved, taking part in this sort of evaluation study? Well, I think um, the data we have from overseas is certainly very encouraging, but I think it it does help to have local experience and local data. And being a new treatment in Australia, we do need to develop our own expertise and uh, our own experience and also to you know, to see how it performs in an Australian setting. So I think it is critical that we we don't just embark on just treating a, a lot of patients uh, as a clinical treatment without first, you know, making an effort to collect some data prospectively and good quality data so we can measure outcomes. And there may be subsets of patients in whom this is a better treatment than external beam or surgery. There may be patients where it doesn't fare so well so just understanding, uh, you know, in a large number of patients in a controlled way, the patient experience, um, the, the tumor control outcomes, cosmetic outcomes, and then trying to collect a bit more information, a bit more quality data, so that we can make more informed decisions moving forward. And I might just add to, to the last point. I, I thought we were going to have run into problems with dermatologists being very... Uh, protected the their patients not wanting to refer. But in fact, if you know, the dermatologist friend said to me, if I'm doing 20 excisions a day and I send you the most difficult one, 
but I don't really want to do that. For me, is uh, uh, you know, is help, enormously helpful. So there are patients who are, you know, with with surgery or other modalities who are, are problematic, where the cosmetic outcomes may not be, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, optimal. Um, where healing may become an issue, particularly in, in the extremities in older patients where the circulation may not be so great, where infection is a problem. I found that the dermatologists are very happy to refer me patients and quite the opposite of what I'd initially um, uh, suspected and which was that we might get a bit of antagonism, a bit of resistance. But in fact, I found quite the opposite. Oh, that's really interesting. And, and then, Sid, what about explaining this to patients when something new comes along? Uh, as we were saying there, you've not only got to get the dermatologists on board to understand how they can benefit their patients with another treatment option, but what about describing this to a patient? How do you explain it to them? How do you talk to them about the potential benefits? Sure. So it's, it's really a, a tailored discussion when, when, when patients are considering it. It's about understanding that the, the, the long-term data and the long-term um, experience among skin cancer doctors is surgery, is topical therapies, is external beam radiation therapy. And while this is new, the the uh, longer-term data is evolving. It's a couple of years uh, of large volume of patients, but it's been around for at least a decade. Um, and uh, certainly the, the, the main uh, concern they would raise in terms of what are the side effects um, of this sort of treatment. So going through the, the, the expectations of the skin reaction and recovery and what the skin might look like afterwards, those are the real the, the key things that we talk through um, to uh, make an informed decision on using this treatment. Well, thank you both so much. It's been absolutely fascinating learning about the Rhenium SCT therapy. Thank you so much, Professor Sid Baxi and Dr. Joe Cardacci, for joining us and sharing those insights around this innovative treatment. Um, it's so interesting to learn about what's what's new, what's coming up, what's proven um, out there to help the patients that, that you serve. Um, thank you also to the audience for listening to this. And if you, the audience, have enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We release a new episode every Friday, as well as plenty of bonus episodes like this one. So until next time, from me, Sue Savile, thank you very much for joining us. Bye for now.